you have your Bibles, I'm, if you're going to turn me down, I'm way too loud. Thank you. If you have Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 3. And we are going to be in verse 14. Ephesians 3, verse 14. Paul's actually going to pray, uh, and we're going to see what he prays about and how he goes about praying. Verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God." Now this is a prayer, verses 14 through 19 is a prayer. He's going to follow that with a a doxology in verse 20 and 21. Let's just read that as well. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is a prayer that Paul has been trying to pray for, for some time. It's a prayer that he was about to say in verse 1 of chapter 3 when he says, for this reason I, Paul, and then he breaks off into what we call this little parentheses, which is a little tangent about why he's in prison for the Gentiles. But it really wasn't a tangent because the whole reason why he's in prison was for the Gentiles, and he's encouraging them while he's in prison. Here's what he's doing now. He's about to pray for them, for, uh, for the people in Ephesus, and he wants to show them really the source of their power and the source of of what life's all about, and that's Jesus Christ. Now what's interesting is when you study the Scriptures and you look at prayers in the Scriptures, you'll find an interesting thing, especially if you look at the, uh, the prayers of Paul. He does not pray like you and I mostly, or maybe he prays like CL, but he doesn't pray like I would pray, you know. Most of us pray for circumstances to change. Most of our prayers are directed at what's out there. Most of our prayers are, Lord, please change this circumstance. Lord, it would be great if you would change this person and that person and this situation. Most of our prayers are more externally motivated or externally directed. Lord, can you change that? And, and God does invite us to pray, and he understands our prayers. But it's interesting, here's Paul. He doesn't pray, Lord, bring me out of prison. He doesn't pray, hey, send me help. His prayer, he's more concerned over something else within the lives of the, of, of the church. And that has to do with their spiritual maturity. That has to do with, with their growth in Christ. Um, if you... Uh, he often prays for, for ministry opportunities and success, let's say, or he prays for uh, godly living, or he prays for 
um, their, their hearts to be changed, and he prays for um, uh, increased knowledge and strengthening and these kind of things. That's what he normally prays for. He does not pray the same way that you and I typically pray. Sometimes our prayers are prayers that God does, will not answer the way we pray them. I hate this. I'm not going to, I'm going to sound really, really off the wall here. Um, well, let me, let me see how it, it's being recorded so, but I can edit out. So <laughs> a lot of times God, our prayers are in such a way that they're, they're, they have the right intention, but God has to change something about them for him to answer them. Okay, you know the story of, of, of Samuel's mom who prayed for a child for years and she was, she was bitterly you know, upset that she couldn't, she was barren and that kind of ran in the family line, you know, um, of Israel until she changed her prayer. No longer was it, God, give me a son cause, so I can have a son, but Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you and I'll commit him to you. And he became the prophet, this, well, he was, he was uh, several titles he had. He was the prophet Samuel. So let's look at and see uh, uh, Paul's prayer here in verse 14 or in, verse, in these verses here, and let's see what we can learn about, really, what prayer is all about. <clears throat> he starts off by saying in verse 14, um, for this reason, I bow my knees before the, for the, for, before the Father. He says, for this reason, in verse 14, is, is the motivation to his prayer. And the motivation of his prayer is really what he, he had just been talking about at the end of chapter 2. In, in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, but now Christ Jesus, who... You were formerly far away from him, but now you're brought near to him. You're now near to Christ. In verse 14, he says, Now he is our peace. You were at odds with God, now you're at peace with God. You were far from God, in verse 13, now you're near to God. We have peace with God, in verse 14. Verse 18, it says, Hey, listen, we also have access to the Father. We talked about for several weeks how there was a dividing law and this kind of stuff, right? But he says in verse 18, he says, listen, we have access in, in, uh, through him. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. We have access to the, to the, to the Father, through the Holy Spirit. And he says, then he says in verse 19 through 21, you guys are now joined as one. You're one church. Now, here's what Paul's going to do. It's interesting that he spends the first three chapters of Ephesians talking about doctrine, right? He's laying foundations doctrinally, and then he gets to the practical stuff. Now, most of us, I don't know about you, I want to get to the, come, give me the practical stuff right off the bat. But if you don't understand the basis for why you're doing what you're doing, you're just listening, you're, you're, then you're just following directions without really knowing why you're doing it. Does that make sense? If you understood the basis for what his instructions are, chapter 4, 5, and 6 are real practical, but he has to lay the foundation of his doctrinal uh, uh, before he gets to the practical stuff. And one thing he's going to say is this. He says, now, you guys are now joined into one church. You are different. Now God has made you one. He's going to finish this chapter with really some foundational stuff before he gets to chapter 4. Because chapter 4 says, hey, live in unity, maintain the unity of the, uh, unity of the spirit, the body of peace, and, uh, and, and sort of practical stuff, right? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your church. You know, you know, everybody getting along, right? And by the way, there's an enemy in chapter 6 that wants to pull it all apart, right? Well, he can't get to that until he covers what we're talking about here. Does that make sense? Um, see, that's why Paul says, be renewed, be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's changing how you think. Sometimes the answer is really having a change of thinking. 
The doing follows your thinking, right? Sometimes our, our doing follows our thinking. Um, I don't know. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm a creature of habit, you know, and uh, I have I have a um, I have a routine. Um, um, we get the kids up in the morning for school, and and uh, and uh, oftentimes I like to go to Starbucks in the morning to get my my coffee, you know, uh, and drop off my dry cleaning, you know, and I it's kind of like second nature. Um, and I only think about it sometimes. Or there's a favorite restaurant that Sharon and I could go to, and I often, there's a couple of restaurants we go to that are sort of next to each other, and I often go, just by habit, to one when we have to go to this other one. And she'll catch me. She's like, why are you going to this one? We're going to that one. It's just habit, right? I'm not even thinking about it. I'm just doing it because it's just ingrained in me. Well, Paul says, you know, the transformation happens when your, your mind is renewed. And so that, that sort of, that, that pathway that you've, you've plowed, for so long, you've mocked the trail, you have to plow new trails. Does that make sense? And that takes time. Well, we've always done it this way. I've always thought about it this way. And so the, the, the challenge here is how do we think about prayer differently? Okay? How do we think about prayer differently? And Paul says, listen, for this reason, because of all this stuff, I'm going to pray. Now, here's what's interesting. Because of the revelation that Paul shares in these verses I just shared with you, it led him to pray. The revelation of God's will often leads to prayer. You get a revelation of what God wants, then you pray, okay, God, how, how do I do this? How do I apply this? How do I walk this through? So we have, first of all, the petition, Paul's petition, where he says in verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father. This posture that he has in verse 14 is a bowing Prayer, it was often uh, one of doing, uh, you often stood to pray. You had the story of, of Jesus told of the, the righteous man and the unrighteous man. The man who was, who was a Pharisee or who was so righteous, he said, thank you God, I'm not like this guy who's a sinner. And I'm not like, in fact, they used to pray, thank you Lord that I'm not a Gentile or a woman, is what they would pray. I want to stand back from that lightning bolt, you know, know, because that would not preach today, you know. And he's looking over this man who is so sorrowful over his sin, he can't even lift his eyes up. He's beating himself like this, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. They were standing and praying. They were standing and praying. Um, Sometimes, sometimes people go on their face before God and pray, right? Now, if I, you know, if you like to kneel like this, carpet doesn't smell. Okay, if your knees are good, posture. Okay, there's all kinds of postures of prayer in the Scripture. Okay, there isn't really one that says, "Well, you have to do this," and people are, are like that. No, it's really the posture of the heart that really matters. What's the posture of the heart? You could be running somewhere and praying. You could be on an airplane and praying. <laughs> we have a flight attendant, you know. <laughs> I don't know how often you pray, but <laughs> some people who are afraid of flying, they are prayers, you know. <laughs> I, pray that the, I pray that the pilot wants to get home. That's why I pray for you. <laughs> but it's interesting here as he says, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, this posture is really an act of submission. When you bow before somebody, now you're, 
you're sort of like in a vulnerable position, right? Your defense, some of you guys are black belts, you know. I don't know, is this like the best position to be in? No, it's probably not. You're, you're in a vulnerable position. You're in a humble position. You recognize as somebody, there's a posture, and sometimes the physical posture helps your, your inside posture. You know that? Sometimes you may actually bow. There's something that happens in your heart. You're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm actually bowing, and it does something. It's a posture of submission, of humility. It's a posture of respect, because you are now before God Almighty praying. See, it's one thing to say, it's one thing that says, like Jesus says, we have whole access to God, the Father. We can go boldly into His presence, right? But we don't go there without disrespect. Jesus is not my homeboy. He's my Lord, okay? He is, he is, he is the Lord. He's still, he's, he is still sovereign, right? And so I come out of Him, out of, Lord, I am here and you are there and I respect that. But there's something else about bowing that Paul's communicating is that bowing sometimes communicates an earnestness. I really want, this is a, and I'm really serious now when I'm praying, you know, when I'm, you know what's that, when you go through a situation where it brings you to your knees, right? When you've, when some tragedy has happened or some bad news or something where now it's really forced you to be on your knees. That's, that's earnestness. And I think what Paul's here, he's being really earnest about his prayers. You see several examples of bowing in the Scriptures. Isaiah 43, 23 talks about it. I, I'm not going to have you turn to all these Scriptures. I, I, um, you know, if I had a, um, I don't know, if I had a, a, a TV here and a PowerPoint, I would probably do it. But uh, several Scriptures uh, talks about bowing the posture of bowing, but I won't belabor the point. Isaiah 43, Romans 14, 11, Psalm 95, 6, and Philippians 2, 10. Just a couple of verses to turn to, or not turn to, but just to mention. So Paul is being in his petition. He has the posture of prayer. Back to verse 14. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. He's addressing the Father in his prayers. Jesus says in Matthew, he says, when you pray, say, Father, Say, our Father, right? We know He's our Father because back in Ephesians 1.3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's our Father too. But look at this. In verse 15, we see this relationship that the Father has with the family. Look at verse 15. From whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Now, does somebody have a different translation? I know we have got some RSV Bibles in here, but is there anybody else who has not a NASB, NASB translation? Because some translations would say every family, and some translations say the whole family. You can translate actually either way. The point is here is that, is that the father who has this ability to name the family's name, is, what does that mean? The act of naming means that you are sovereign over what you name. When Alyssa and Joshua are born, guess what we get to do? We get to name our children. So we're sovereign of our children, you know. <laughs> we name them, right? We, are, we have this connection with them. We are in charge of them, so to speak. Adam named the animals. He has, he is, he is, he has dominion over that, right? There is, there is a, a responsibility that, that, that he has. Here's what's interesting. Is in the Greek language, the word father is the word Pater. And the word family is the word 
patria. There's a linkage between pater and patria, father and family. There's a relationship there. What's interesting also is that the notion of fatherhood comes from God the Father. Just as God the Father has sovereignty over his earthly families, there's a, relation, there's a connection between fatherhood and familyhood, so to speak. Does that make sense? That's why the role of the father is often attacked in secular society or is attacked just by the devil himself or whatever, you know, it's, it's attacked. The role of the father is attacked, but yet the role of the father is very necessary, extremely necessary. Guys, those of us who are dads or will be dads someday, your very presence in your kids' lives means, means the world. It's a huge position that cannot be filled by the mom. And sometimes, we know there's single moms, you know, and that happens, you know, my mom, you know, my parents were divorced when I was young. I understand that. But that's not a burden she's meant to carry. And she could try her best to carry both roles. But that's not her position. Her position is to help you be the dad and be the father of your family. And there is a, there is a connection. You know that Jesus is called the son of who? God and son of who else? David. There is a relationship between David as a father and Jesus as a son. You know that. There's a connection. It's interesting that, G- that David was, well, he was a man after God's own heart. Now, we're not going to remember his, his adultery stuff, you know. We're just going to, we know he's, he's human being. He did sin. But as in lineage, in Jesus Christ comes from the son, he's the son of David. That's significant. Very significant. So dads, men who will someday be dads, or, there is a position that you have, a role that you have that is crucial to your family. Does that make sense? Just as God is the, the father of, of, yeah, I've already made that point. He says, upon, everyone devised its name. Look at Isaiah 40 real fast, Isaiah 40. And guess what, guys? If we go a little long tonight, I'm, I'm okay with that. So, and the Cardinals aren't playing tonight, so who cares, right? Because the NFL didn't shed one blood for my sins. So, why should I even care? Anyway, sorry. Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on heaven and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. That's God, naming all of the stars, and he names all the angels, and he names everybody else. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. You know, it's interesting that, that this direct link between God the Father of the believer and the, the, and the, the Father and the believer. The, God will never be an absentee father to you. Do you know that? God will never be an absentee father to you. Now, we may have human fathers who are absent, and we pray for them, and we ask God to show their grace. But God himself will never be the absentee father. There's, he never gives up that role. He never says... I'm done with you. He never does that. Nothing can keep God from strengthening you as a believer, from being there as a, as a father to you. He is always that father. He's a father to the fatherless, and he's a father to those whose dads walked away. 
Now let's go back to Ephesians, because in Ephesians we want to look at a couple points here. What is Paul driving to when he, gets to, when he actually gets to pray? What is he praying for? And I had a hard time really come up with a good concept or key word, but at the end of the day, if you go back to Ephesians, he's shooting for a target. And really the target is intimacy with God. The target of prayer is really closeness with God. That's really the goal. Now how we get there is how I think he's going to lay out in these in sort of like steps, okay? Uh, these objectives, these goals to prayer, I have four of them. First one is that we would be strengthened with power, with God's power. Look at verse 16. He says, and that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. We'll, we'll break that apart in a few minutes. That's really the first step. Paul's prayer is primarily not directed at the external factors as it is now as the internal factors. See, that's why, that's why you have some people, now I hate to admit that I'm not this person all the time, you have some people who can face trial and tribulation and, and it's not affecting them, right? There's a peace about them. Then you have some people like me, yesterday, okay, so we had, we had a busy weekend, right? We're, you know, we have kids who are doing recitals and we had, I don't know, what else did we have? Um, we had a party, or what, what do we have, Sharon? Baby shower. Baby shower, yeah. And, uh, men and women go to a baby shower, right? I was hoping to, they didn't do the whole, you know, wrap the toilet paper around the, ba- you, know, you know, count him. They didn't do the guessing game of the, the, the baby food, you know. They didn't do that. But we had a baby shower. We had recital. What else? We had Friday, something else. We were busy, right? And so, like... And so, you know, I'm trying to study for today, you know, and, and of course yesterday, you know, we're kind of like in a frenzy, you know, get home from the baby shower, and I, I don't even know what I did yesterday, Sharon, help me out. That's why you're my helper. What's, what do we do? Oh, yeah, after the shower. So we had the, we had the, the shower in the morning, the so, oh, shower in the afternoon, and then the recital at night. So I had to do some studying, studying. Anyway, my point is, we're trying to find... I'm trying to find uh, correct clothes for Joshua, you know, and trying to get that, because Sharon is with Alyssa doing something else and the recital stuff, and I'm getting frustrated. And I'm, I'm, I'm losing my cool. I'm not walking in the Spirit, you know. I'm, I'm kind of fleshing out, you know, because, I'm, because I, felt, I just felt like everything was pressed upon me, and I didn't have the inner strength to really deal with it. Does that make sense? So it's sort of like this is like a lab test for me, right? Paul prays in verse 16 that God's power would strengthen you, that you would be strengthened with power through the, His Spirit in the inner man. First of all, notice His supply in verse 16. He says, according, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. That's His supply. Guess what about His supply? It's according to His riches and glory. That means... It's a lot. Okay? It's more than enough. It's according to. It's not from, but it's according to. Here's the difference. If I say it's from his riches and glory, it's like this. Here's a man who's a millionaire. And he sees a man who's, who needs money, so we give him a dollar. Okay, that's from his riches. 
not according to his riches. Here's according to his riches. If he's a millionaire, he gives him $100,000. In the same measure, let's say, the riches and glory have to do with the fact that, he, that God is full of majesty, that God is full of power, that God is full of glory, that he is full of supply. That this isn't something where God's like Ebenezer Scrooge who's, who's got everything and he says, here, son, I'll give you a little something, you know, for your strength. You know, you, <laughs> here's just a little, you know, penance, you know. That's not God when he gives. God, when he gives, he gives, you know, like a whole everything and then something you need. So it's so overflowing that, that there's more than enough to, in fact, it's so much that, that when you walk around, it's dripping wet off of you. Does that make sense? According to his riches and glory, it has to do with the superabundance of what God gives to you. So you're not just a beggar asking for a little crumb. You are a son and child and daughter of God receiving a whole lot more than, than a crumb. He's like, okay, I'll just, it's like over the top. His supply is never-ending. It's more than enough to meet our needs. He says, he says, according to his riches and glory. And guess what? It doesn't drain God for him to do that. You know that. Sometimes we think, oh, Lord, if you have a little bit to spare, you know, and, you know, can, I, can, you get, can you just give me a couple crumbs here, you know, and I haven't been good this week, or I just feel I don't feel really holy, and me just give me the, the extra drops of the of something, you know, and that we would just go for that, you know. And God says, no, that's that's not how I that's not how I um, I give according to my riches and glory. My supply is never ending. That's why you can go to him every single day and he never gets tired or depleted or deplenished, you know. He never says, Hey, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm 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 out of I'm out of supply today. You know, I went to the store recently, and I uh, I went to look for I need some some slacks, and I just, I just bought these these slacks a couple weeks ago, and you know, and the lady goes and she looks in every single thing, and I'm like, she's like, I don't have them. I'm like, well, when do you get your supply in? Well, maybe this week, maybe next. I'm like, that's okay, whatever. Go on. <laughs> sorry, men's warehouse to go to another store. You know. <laughs> The point is that God never runs out of supply. Do you know sometimes, though, is we look to people for our supply. We look to somebody else to fill our cup. That's what happens a lot. I wish I had a cup. Oh, I have it. We, we, now, I'm a little thirsty now. Now, Pedro, you need a whole lot of supply, don't you? And I need some supply too. Now we're first stuck down a, a we're first stuck down a desert island. I'm sorry, I'm not gonna give this up. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, dude. But sometimes we turn to another person and say, well, "You fill my cup, right? Fill my cup." Give me my, what I need. And then when we drain them, we drain somebody else. Because we're going to the wrong supply. The supply is Jesus Christ. That's why sometimes you know, okay, you know this, you can think in your mind, and I'm probably like this to some people. I probably do this to, you know, oh, when I see that person, I feel drained already. Right? Come on. You know. And I'm probably like that myself to some people. CL probably gets bugged with me, call him up, dude, I'm, I'm a horrible person. Or, you know, 
But here's how you handle that kind of person. You don't give them what you have from your supply. You direct them to the source. Right? You direct them to the source. Some, Jesus met a, a lady who was doing the same thing. You know, you know the story, the, John, John, John chapter 4, woman at the well. She's at the well trying to fill her cup. And Jesus says, now you, you're, you've been trying to fill your cup with relationships too. And that ain't working. And so he directed her to the source. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to flow out of you and He will be never-ending source of supply. God is our supply. Don't look to people to fill your cup. Don't look to relationships or fill in the blank to fill your cup. Because He, according to His riches and glory, will fill our cup and then some so that our cup is so overflowing that people are like, oh, I want some of that. Does that make sense? Verse 16 again. Now, that was his supply. Let's look at his strength. To be strengthened with power. It's a word that, it's, the Greek word is kratos. Kratos, kratos. It's used back in Ephesians chapter 1. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? That's the same word. Look at verse, chapter 6, verse 10. Just a couple of verses here. To be strengthened with power, chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength, that's the word, of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. He uses it, and we're going to look at a couple of verses right now. He uses it because it's a key concept here. He uses it in 1 Corinthians 16. Go there real fast, if you don't mind. Go to 1 Corinthians 16. In 1 Corinthians 16, hold on, did I write this down correctly? Oh, hold on. Let me, uh, I, I must have typed it out wrong because that's not the exact verse I'm looking for. So if you time out, okay? Can, you, can I do a timeout? Of course I can. Um, I must have wrote it down wrong because um, that's, let me put it is. Oh, it is. Verse 13. I'm sorry. I did write. I was looking at the wrong. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, 14. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and be strong. Let all that you've done be done in love. It's used in, in Luke to talk about Jesus growing in stature and strength, growing in maturity. What's interesting is if you look at the Old Testament, it's written in the Greek version of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint. Um, it's used in the context where God's power, where, uh, where people call on Him to seek His power, where people call on God to seek His power. That's how it's used. If you look um, at a couple of verses here, um, referring to God's strength, go to Psalm. No, wait. Go to First uh, First Samuel. First of all, First Samuel. I'm First Samuel twenty-three. It refers to God's strength. So he says, "Be strong, be strong in the Lord, or be." Uh, I pray that you would be strengthened with, according to the riches of His glory, with His strength. Is what Paul is saying. It is God's strength. In First Samuel twenty-three, it's the uh, the Hebrew uh, the. 
the equivalent word or it's a, a, a translated in verse 16, speaking about David, it says, And Jonathan, 1 Samuel 13, 16, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in God. So to strengthen means to be encouraged. To, but that is the courage from God. It is the strength from God. Now sometimes, the, I think the biggest need of people today, the biggest need, is not more knowledge, but encouragement. Because it's easy to get discouraged, isn't it? It's, a whole, it's very easy to look at our circumstances and go, right? Talk to me two hours before church, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know. But it's something that God has to supply. Um, it's the strength that is used when, when people are facing their enemies. Look at Psalm 105. Psalm 105. In Psalm 105, in verse 4, it refers to, um, well, let's read it real fast. It says, Psalm 105, verse 4 says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek, seek His face continually. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. You see the, the connection between that? Do you catch that? Go back, look at the verse. Do you see the connection between seeing God's face and His strength? Do you see the connection there? The, there's a parallel form there. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. The point is this. How do we receive the strength? How is Paul asking for God to give us strength? Is he giving him a bunch of, here's five points to go out and do somewhere. It's the receiving through prayer and the seeing God's face. This is a prayer that, that Paul, that, or that here in the psalm, it's, it's, it's uh, probably David or the psalmist. It's strength while he's facing the enemies. Look at verse 24. Same psalm, 105, verse 24. It says, um, And he caused his people to be very fruitful and made them stronger than their adversaries. It is God empowering his people when they face their enemies. It is God and strengthening his people when we face adverse people or situations, and it's a result of prayer. Go back, to, go back to Ephesians. So Paul is praying this. He says, I pray, verse uh, uh, Ephesians, I pray that he would grant you according to those riches and strength to be strengthened with power, the strength that you have to, that you need to face your enemies, that strength that you need to face the circumstances of life. It is from His Spirit. That's the source. The Holy Spirit is the one who does this. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that you will wait in Jerusalem and you'll receive power on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He is the source. Here's what Paul's praying. Don't look exwardly or outwardly for strength. Don't look to your spouse, to your friend, your co-worker, or anybody else. Don't look to relationships. Look to God. And that strength is received as you face God face to face. That means in prayer. You say, Lord, I need what you have. And what you have is enough, right? Now, sometimes I wonder, is God, we always ask, is God willing and able to do something? In this chapter, we're seeing something. He is able and he's also willing. His ability is the fact that he's got his riches and glory ready to give to us, ready to pour out on us. And the fact that he loves us means he's willing as well. It's a simple thing. 
Sometimes we make it complicated. Sometimes we feel, Lord, that was yesterday, but today's, I don't feel as, no, the Lord says, come to me, right? Jesus says, hey, come, right? He, whoever, whoever's thirsty, let him come, right? Let him drink. Uh, I think it's John chapter 7, he says something of that sort. I think it's John chapter 7 where he's, he's stopping in the middle of the festival and he says, hey, whoever's thirsty uh, out of his, well, here, let me, let me turn to it. He says, um, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from him, his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's what Christ offers to us. Paul says back in Ephesians 3, 16, that you are strengthened with power in the spirit, or through the spirit in the inner man. And what does that mean? In the inner man. That's, that's the subject. That's the goal. That's really where the Lord is working is in the inner man. The word inner is eso. It means, refers to the inside of something, inside of a building, uh, the inside of the ark or inside of you know, a structure. But it refers also to the moral and spiritual side of a person. It's the person who they really are in the inside. That's the inner man. Uh, there's a parallel here between that and verse 17. Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That's the inner man. It's the parallel. Heart, inner man, who you really are on the inside. And that's where God is working on. He says, I'm praying that you would be strengthened with power uh, uh, through his spirit in the inner man, in your moral and spiritual side, in in, in your heart and your mind. Why is this significant? No, here, here's what's interesting. Go, I'm sorry. I'm, let me slow back down. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. I want to show you something here. Because in 2 Corinthians 4, we see that this is something that is necessarily on a daily basis. It's kind of warm in here. Or is it just me? It's just me. Maybe I'm just getting hot flashes or something. <laughs> I cannot relate to that at all. I, you ladies, you guys talk about hot flashes. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, <laughs> I have no idea. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, Therefore, we, uh, verse 16, verse, therefore we do not lose heart. By the way, you know that Paul said in Ephesians 3, he, he says, Don't lose heart, but I'm going to pray for you. He says, Therefore, do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But, through, but though our outer man is decaying and gaining some weight, got to cut out the sugar, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. It is, is a part of us that, that really God is working on on a daily basis. Paul refers to the inner man in Romans chapter 7, verse 22. I won't read that right now. My point is this, is that this is a necessary work of the Holy Spirit that has to happen daily. A necessary thing where God says, God, I need your strength. Lord, I need your supply on a daily basis. Go back to Ephesians. The inner part of us needs renewing. The inner part of us needs to be enabled daily. Do you know that the supply that God gives you today and if you 
receive his supply that he's, he's always willing to pour out is for today. To now is a new day. And like the manna of the Old Testament, it ain't lasting more than one day unless it's the, the Sabbath one, you know. But, but you need a new, a fresh one every day. And another fresh one every day. I don't know about you, but when we like to go out to eat and we have leftovers usually. And we stick the leftovers in our refrigerator. And we forget about them. <laughs> and they become experiments. <laughs> Science experiments. And sometimes I go to the refrigerator and, 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 and I'll take my chances. Because it's leftover and sometimes it's not there. And so I'll stick it in the microwave and I'll nuke it and I'll nuke it again because, you know, <laughs> you want to make sure. Then you eat some of it and you're like, okay, it's good or uh, not so good, you know. Point is this, don't live, on left, don't live off of leftovers in, God's, in God's, God's house or in God's will, right? Don't live off of leftovers. Get the fresh stuff. Tom, you're a baker. It's, a, it's, it's the freshly baked stuff that people love, right? The day-old stuff, that's on sale, right? Or the three-week-old or, or however long stuff lasts, right? Certain things last a long time, but after a day, it's the fresh stuff that you want. That's right. It's the fresh stuff that you want. Now, why is this necessary? Why is it necessary to receive strength? Well, that's a dumb question, right? <laughs> uh, well, discouragement can set in. You get a phone call. Your countenance goes from here to there. Just off, off phone call. Things can, uh, your heart can grow cold. It's kind of like this. A little tip for the married people. Date your wife. It's kind of like when you are receiving that strength from God, it's, it's keeping that fresh, that relationship fresh. When that's not happening, you and God can grow cold. God hasn't moved. We can grow insensitive, we can grow weak, we can grow hardened, we can grow discouraged, we can grow fearful, hopeless, all those things, right? When you feel that, that's a sign for you to go and get filled up. When you feel the scourge, that means, oh, I need to get filled up with encouragement from God. When you feel fearful, that means I need to be encouraged by God because He's with me. When you feel weak, that's the time to say, ah, I need his strength. I ain't got it. Um, how do you guys have cell phones? Everybody has a cell phone? Unless you, no. Unless you, unless you live in the medieval ages. Um, I don't know about you, but I like to plug, I'm a stickler with keeping this thing plugged in and, and charged. Because I am petrified of the battery running out of my cell phone. Because when the battery runs out of your cell phone, What happens? The world stops turning, right? <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I mean, come on, you know? <laughs> so think about your spiritual life like this. You keep plugged in. Don't let it get, you get, they get to the red, and that's, you're, 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 you're beyond. Your low blood sugar is, you know, whatever. Get your strength from the Lord. Get your encouragement from the Lord. Fill up from the Lord and the Lord only. He is the one who's ever 
present and ever active and ever willing and able and wants to fill your cup on a daily basis. Get your strength from the Lord. If you're feeling cold, draw near to Him. If you're feeling frustrated, draw near to Him. If you're feeling hopeless, draw near to Him. Really, He's the answer. He's the one who wants to give us His strength. Because only His strength will enable us to walk through some of the things in life that we have to face. Only His strength is enough to conquer. It's His strength living through us. If we could do it in our strength, I mean, that's, that, that's, I can't even think of that, those terms, but if we do it with our strength, we are, we are helpless. We are, we, are, we, are, we are ineffective. But when it's His strength, that's what God wants, that's the whole point. Jesus came to this world not just to show us what God is like in a sense, but to live His life through us. Does that make sense? That's, why, that's what the Christian's life is really about, is allowing and asking God to live His life. We are called the temple of what? The Holy Spirit. Which means He dwells in us. Here's what's interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll stop here. Is that Jesus Christ, perfect man and yet perfect God, do you know he lived his life? You know, he's 100% man, 100% God. It's called the hypostatic union, right? A little theology here. Jesus lives his life as, a, as what a man who's perfect or as a man who's fully relying on God. As one, a pers- as, as example to us. Like, he doesn't cheat. He could cheat, right? He's God. But he lives as a man fully dependent on the Spirit of God to do work through him. Jesus in the flesh gets tired, right? He grows hungry, he grows tired, he grows weary, he gets sad, right? He experiences those human emotions, yet at the same time, he relies on the Spirit and the power of God to live his life through him. That's an example for you and I. See, it'd be one thing if Jesus were come to this earth and start levitating everywhere. Right? You know, can you, you know, imagine if he went and started loving to him. Oh, wow, that's great. I wish I could do that. No, sorry. Just for the deities only, you know. Just for, just, you know. But no, he lives his life in a, as a humble man, relying on the Holy Spirit, just like you and I, to show us how that's lived. He doesn't cut corners on that. And he asks, or he invites us to live the same. See, that's why Paul's, here's what Paul's doing in this section. We'll stop in a second. He's laying that foundation because the, uh, the goal of being filled up with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, so that when we enter into life, we enter into relationships, we have been strengthened and enabled to handle a lot of the sticky and crazy stuff, right, of life. The mother-in-law, brother-in-law, no, I mean my mother-in-law is here, my, the, 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 uh, um, <laughs> bad ex- I went, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, you know, the difficult people in life, my mother-in-law is the most undifficult person in life, so it wasn't meant to, you know, you know. <laughs> the difficulties in life, even your spouse, yeah, your spouse, who sometimes you think is your enemy, but they're not your enemy. They're your helper. They're on your team. 
that's, yeah, anyway, that's another, another chapter, so I'm not going to go there. Does that make sense? So Paul says, so here's the thing. You go home daily on a day, Lord, I need your strength. Dear God, I need your strength. Yesterday was great, but today is a new day. And I have some new trials. I have, you come into work, you got 10 emails and voicemails, and you have this person calling, you're like, it's already started. I haven't gotten to work. But Lord, I need you, right? And day by day, moment by moment, his supply is never ending. And it's not, he doesn't get exhausted at that. He says, ask. Seek his face. Receive him in. I only got through one point. What is that? I don't know. I guess I'm done. <laughs> I was going to cover the whole thing, but no, I guess I'm not. So let's pray and praise the Lord. Thank you so much, Father, for your, your strength that you give to us, for the fact that you are present with us through your Holy Spirit, that your Spirit dwells within us who are believers, Lord, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you invite us, Lord. And just as Paul praised this, we pray this as well, Lord. Fill us, Lord, to an awareness of your presence. Fill us to overflowing with your presence and with your strength, God, your ability, your encouragement, Lord. Lord, fill us not just halfway, Lord, but overflowing so that it's over the top, flowing over so that there's an abundant supply, Lord, of everything we need, Lord. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.